0: Hi, welcome to the podcast, The Socially Inspired Investor, where you can not only expand your knowledge of rewarding investment strategies, but also address environmental and socially responsible investing alternatives with important insights from experts in the field. I'm Pat O'Neill. These programs feature ESG, environmental, social, and governance stories in focus, and deep dive discussions with notable people in the industry. This time the topic, net zero carbon. What is it? What are companies doing to achieve it? And is it possible? Also featured in companion articles in the Socially Inspired Investor Digest at sociallyinspiredinvestor.com. We hear a lot about net zero carbon these days, but what does that really mean? And how is it affecting investors and the world around us? We have two guests to talk about very different aspects of this issue, so we've divided the discussions into two separate podcasts. For this podcast, we'll be talking to Cornelia Levy-Bencherton, marketing consultant and smart cities expert. Our other podcast, which you can also link to on this site, features Mark Campanali. Founder and executive chairman of the Carbon Tracker Initiative, a nonprofit think tank which does research on the impact of climate change on financial markets and investors. Right now, let's welcome Cornelia Levy Benjamin, marketing consultant and smart cities expert, and author of the new book, Smart Cities Smart Future, showcasing tomorrow. So Cornelia, what is a smart city and how is it different from the traditional idea of a city?
1: There are many definitions of a smart city. So it's, uh, it depends on your perspective. And that's because there are just so many different pieces, parts, components, and elements of a smart city. There's the people element, the traffic the infrastructure, the buildings. So it's it's a complex system, a smart city. But the definition that I like to use is that smart cities put people first. It's all about being people-centered. It's about solving real-life problems people in every walk of life, people of every age group, uh, including people with disabilities. So it, there's really something for every kind of person in a smart city. And of course, the other definition is that it's a technology-centered city. It's taking a, a regular city, which is a traditional simple town, like a rural community or rural city, and making it technology-enabled. In other words, allowing technology to better life and better the conditions for people in in a city. That would be my differential.
0: Well, we're talking a lot about energy efficiency too, right? And the carbon footprint and the I mean, we hear the phrase net zero carbon or carbon neutral. Uh, What is that exactly? And is it possible?
1: It's definitely possible. And it's a goal that was put forth by the United Nations in about 2015 with their sustainable development goals. So being net zero carbon or carbon neutral is something that's very good for the environment, for climate control, for reducing pollution. And we usually talk about net zero carbon around homes and buildings. And it's a kind of a hard concept to get your head around. But what it is basically is a building or a home that takes energy from the local energy provider, but that uses it in such an efficient way. Those buildings and those homes are so well built and well designed and so airtight. So they wind up Selling energy back to the provider. It's kind of a a very far-out idea, but when you see it in action, you see that everything about a carbon-neutral or a building a design that way is very futuristic and very advanced.
0: Why is the smart city movement so important? What is driving it?
1: The statistics show, and this is a pretty universally agreed-upon, that people are moving into cities on average a million and a half. Now, I know that that doesn't sound like New York City right now, but it's true all over the world that people are moving into cities at a very high rate. And projections are that about 70% of the global population will be living in cities by 2050. So the infrastructure that exists in cities right now, the buildings, the transportation, the the buses and trains and how to get around in cities, the roads, just simply will collapse. They're not adequate to absorb the level that's anticipated. So it's it's about planning. It's about strategic long-term planning.
0: Is that going to make the economies of smart cities a lot better? How is that going to work?
1: So, of course, cities always have a budget for growth and for new projects. And I think that if you're in a a local government agency and you need to spend money to fix certain things, what you want to do is not provide so much for the short term, but for the longer term you want to have a strategic long-term direction. And it's all about cost-benefit. It's all about risk-reward. You want to have things that will be around for a long time that will really endure, that will be resistant, sustainable, and provide for the solutions over the long term. And those usually are some sort of technology-enabled kind of solution.
0: Well, it seems that with so many people in cities, and that's not going to stop, it would seem that they use more energy than anybody. I mean, cities do. So it's even tougher than it would seem to get your arms around that coming up with solutions.
1: Well, there are all kinds of solutions that are smart. There's high-tech solutions and low-tech solutions. (laughs) It's funny, but a couple of examples of a low-tech solution that are smart. I know of a couple of cities in Finland that have bicycle paths that glow in the dark. So if you're out riding your bike in Finland, you have a sort of a glowy blue cobalt riding path that lights up in the dark. It's fantastic. How about crosswalks in cities that are easy to see, that are colorfully designed? There's a company out of New Haven that has an app for communicating with local governments. And they've clocked millions of uses for fixing potholes. And we know in the Northeast what a pain in the neck potholes are. And they have millions and millions of fixes all over the world, a global company, for fixing local problems. So those are some examples of lower tech situations that are smart. One of the big problems that a city government has is in managing their garbage collection. They have all these big, noisy, polluting garbage trucks that they send out to the trash stations, the trash receptacles. And unfortunately, they're frequently empty. So the trucks get out there and there's nothing to pick up. So it's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. It pollutes the environment and it creates a lot of noise. very bad. So the solution to that is a digitized garbage receptacle where there's a solar panel on the top and the solar panel creates energy that compacts the garbage. And when it's ready to be picked up, it sends a signal to the command station. Okay, we're ready. Come pick us up. Yes, and not only that, but... I did some research and found out that a couple of cities in northern Europe that correlated the switch over to these solar paneled garbage receptacles and a reduction in petty crime. So it's if you have these receptacles with an open top and the garbage pouring all over on the ground, it gives a signal to criminals if we can get away with polluting the, the ground, we can get away with other things similarly to what we did in New York City with the broken windows theory and cleaning up the graffiti on trains can reduce crime. But then we have an example, one Vanderbilt. This is a spectacular building right next to Grand Central. That's an example of a highly sophisticated and complex solution to transit, to buildings. And it's a showcase for public-private
0: partnerships.
1: It caused the entire rezoning of Midtown Manhattan
0: So there are a lot of uh, big projects, too, we're talking about architecture and design and public transportation systems, all sorts of things that people use every day.
1: Yeah, it's about a mindset of solving people's problems, problems from everyday experience like crossing streets and having traffic lights that are, that make sense vis-a-vis the flow of traffic and the need for pedestrians to cross highways and, and streets to very complex design situations like city infrastructure, built environment. Take a look at Hudson Yards, for example, in New York City. That's an example of all kinds of new technology that was built in there, great Wi-Fi, great connectivity, and also beauty because smart cities are designed to make living more enjoyable, not only more efficient. So it's about creating beauty for an enjoyability in living and working in a smart city or in a smart office building.
0: What about smart buildings or green buildings? I guess they're going to be playing a pretty big role in all of this.
1: Yes, there are many examples of smart buildings. In fact, uh, there's a French company headquartered in France, but they have a big office in uh, Andover, Massachusetts. And they are an example of an end-to-end A-to-Z smart building. So employees drive up there in their electric cars. They have electric charging stations outside the building. And when you go in, everything in there is designed for the maximum efficiency and effectiveness Even they've redesigned the office space so that if you're working on a project, that project team sits together. So they've redesigned all of their cubicles broken down into a way that there are units for people to work together in teams. Everything is practical. And so you get a tour of the building, and you can see all of the different ways that smart technology can work for you in your building. If you're considering any of their purchasing any of their systems,
0: are there entire cities that are now smart cities, or are there cities that are most of the way there?
1: That's a great question. So it's a new concept, smart cities. So the buildings or the cities that are designed de novo, meaning from scratch, there are cities in China, Meishi Lake occurs to me, it's a magnificent city. It's actually a series of communities built around a lake and it uses natural resources to create an environment that is perfect. And all of the technologies are perfect too. But there are many other buildings and cities, too. For example, Singapore. They've really used their natural resources in a fantastic way. They rely on Malaysia for a lot of their water. And since water is vital to a city, they want to be self-reliant. So Singapore has the reputation of saving every drop of rain that falls. And it starts with their kids in school. It's drummed into them how important conservation of water is. They've become a center for water management and water research. And they have actually developed a way of taking wastewater and converting it, a complex process of filtration, ionization, and all kinds of other Technologies and making it potable into drinking water. So when they say they save every drop of water, they really mean it.
0: Well, I'm getting the impression that, that there are more cities outside of the United States that are a little more conscious of this uh, kind of philosophy and they're a lot further along than cities in the United States. Is that true? <laughs> That's a very good observation. Yes.
1: So the smart cities movement is more advanced in Europe. And I think that's because after World War II, a lot of cities were sort of decimated and they had to start from scratch. So they didn't inherit these big legacy infrastructures that we have in the United States. Estonia is one of those European situations. It's actually a city-state They had to, after the war and the Russians left, they had to really rebuild their government from scratch. They used the latest and greatest kinds of technology to do everything that was convenient and practical and low cost and longer range thinking for their citizens. You can do everything on a smartphone in Estonia except get married. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anything you need, you <laughs> and they might be working on how to do that. As a matter of fact, <laughs> so anything you need, you want to register, you want to get a, a driver's license, you want to change your residency, change your voting party, you can do it on the phone. It's like a giant file cabinet that's fully digitized. It's it's really remarkable, and the Estonians go around the world as consultants. And they share their knowledge and help other companies, other cities, to get up to speed and be like them.
0: So, uh, how far away are we, Cornelia, from having these complete futuristic cities everywhere, like we saw as kids with the the Jetsons? A decade away? Two decades away?
1: Well, you see, there's a whole range. It's a whole continuum, and the the Jetsons type of smart city is 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 actually being built. In Saudi Arabia, by, by Saudi Arabia, it's called Naum and they're going to have flying, you know, flying cars and, you know, very, very futuristic things because they're starting from scratch. But you'd be surprised. There, there are so many cities around the United States that have smart elements or components In fact, the smart cities movement is really gaining a lot of momentum in the United States. There are more and more cities that are offering competitions and challenges that are let by, say, the Department of Transportation. One example that comes to mind is Columbus, Ohio, which won in, I think, 2016 a smart cities challenge. And there were 77 contestants that bid on a $40 million Department of Transportation contract. Columbus, Ohio won. It was a spectacular spectacular bid that they put in. And um, they they made a case. One of the best cases I've seen for extending their transit system, subways and buses, down below outside of Columbus into a poor area where their infant mortality rate was terrible and where they had very poor hospital care and very poor education. And the idea of extending the transit system down into this area was that the people living there could have better access into downtown Columbus for better health care and for jobs. It was a win for Columbus to bring in that whole community from the outside and from the community to improve their quality of life. And they made a compelling case, but they didn't hide their learnings and what they were doing and why they won from the other 77 participants. They Mm -hmm. were very open about sharing everything that they learned and everything that they did. And so it's a concept of a rising tide, rising all boats. So everybody won who participated in the competition because they were able to share in the information. And that's how everything gets better.
0: Well, I would imagine, too, that you wouldn't have to start from scratch necessarily, that there are other ways that you can adapt, retrofit the things that you have in a city rather than just tearing everything down and starting all over again.
1: Sure. In order to do that, let's say you have traffic lights that need to respond adequately during an emergency. Let's say you have fires or police or, or emergency situations where you want all of the traffic lights to turn green in one direction where you want the police and fire to go. So what you'd want to do is replace the traffic light system with a smart system. One of them is called CertTrack. And you have to make sure when you replace your old legacy traffic light situation with a new system that will operate with the existing light poles and switches and everything else, You want to make sure that new components are compatible with what you have as you replace and retrofit old systems with new technology. And that is possible because a lot of these new innovations are based on open source technologies, open software and open hardware, meaning that they're free. The source codes are available to everyone. And so you can be assured that new traffic lights, for example, will work with your old traffic posts and with old systems and switches.
0: So I guess that would also cut down the expense, too, if you can use some of uh, what you've had before in change it into something new.
1: Yeah, it's an iterative process and you want to to take it a step at a time. It's an evolution, not a revolution.
0: (laughs) As far as investors are concerned, looking at this whole big picture, what kinds of things should they be looking to invest in? What kinds of companies?
1: Well, if you're interested in smart cities, anything that pertains to reduction of CO2 emissions, clean energy, saving the planet, reforestation, causes involving certain communities like the disabled, very important for transportation, transit, subways. We're in a whole series of installing accessible metro systems in in New York, elevators and subways. And that's a big project because we want to use the people resources that we have, including The disabled, we want them to be part of the community and be active. Telecommunications would be very important. Wi-Fi companies, companies that make sensors, anything involving data, because smart cities collect data and data needs to be processed. It needs to be stored. It needs to be analyzed. So companies that can analyze data that can that are involved with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, all of those are very, very hot companies and hot prospects for investment.
0: Well, Cornelia, you've seen a lot of things. You've seen uh, what a lot of cities have done. You've um, done a lot of research into this, obviously. What really excites you about the smart cities movement and what Do you see looking down the road, do you get really excited about?
1: So what excites me about Smart Cities is that everything is there. The stimulation, the culture, the education, the cross-fertilization, and the learning opportunities that come along with cities. But it's on steroids because it has also all of the new technologies that are fascinating and that can help people to have a better life and a better urban experience and work in a more enjoyable way. And certainly I think the future is very bright. I see that the momentum will continue in smart cities. It's not going away, it's the demise of cities has been grossly over-exaggerated, to paraphrase Mark Twain.
0: Well, it's been great having you today. Uh, Is there any place people can go to for more information? I know in addition to your book, and we'll get the title in there again, are there other things that people can do, more research they can do, or just if they're curious about the whole topic?
1: I would suggest going online and just Googling smart cities, because there are so many conferences And now with the pandemic, many of these conferences are free, and they're very interesting. They're very inclusive. They have people from all walks of life and from all different countries and specialties. So there's a lot to be learned just from from a simple online search about smart cities.
0: Okay, terrific. Thanks so much, Cornelia, for being with us today. It's been great. Great Great to be with you. We've been talking to Cornelia Levy-Bencherton, marketing consultant and smart cities expert and author of the new book, Smart Cities, Smart Future, showcasing tomorrow. For more on the carbon net zero issue and its potential impact on our lives and on our investments, you can click the link on this site to our podcast with Mark Campanale, founder and executive chairman of the Carbon Tracker Initiative, a nonprofit think tank which does research on the impact of climate change on financial markets and investors. This podcast is copyrighted by Seasons of Advice Wealth Management. It is published and provided for informational and entertainment purposes only and not for individualized investment advice. Please go to our website, soawealth.com, for additional information. We'll be back next time with more ESG stories and focus and another deep dive discussion and companion articles in the Socially Inspired Investor Digest. Our podcast mission is to make socially inspired and ESG investing more consumer friendly and achievable. This is The Socially Inspired Investor.